You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you'll look there uh, with us, please, tonight. 1 Corinthians 7. Sure warmed up. Still under um, the average temperature, but it warmed up compared to yesterday. Anybody say amen to that? Kurt, I got my winter wheat in today. It warmed up enough for that. Yeah. Tomatoes tomorrow, but I guess it's going to get colder again tomorrow. Man. <clears throat> so, keeps this up. I'm just going to move from here. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. First Corinthians 7. Um, this is just going to be a continuation of last week's message, keeping an, eter- keeping an eternal perspective when considering marriage. Those of you already married, uh, let me just tell you, every principle that we talk about from this chapter applies to us in so many ways, because <clears throat> it's about making good decisions before heading into marriage. And so this would be making wise decisions about anything, uh, using some of these eternal perspectives when making any decision in life. Honestly, it applies in every way. If you'll remember, it'll help you to, to uh, understand chapter 7 better if you'll remember that apparently the Corinthians had written to Paul and said, hey, we've got some questions There's a lot of things going on within the Christian culture where we are and in our church. And when we try to put our old culture of when we were lost and apply it to the church today, something doesn't seem right. We've got some questions about what do you do in certain cases and certain circumstances. And so they've asked him these questions and he is trying to address all of them uh, in light of what the Bible has to say about that. So, keeping an eternal perspective when considering marriage. Let's look back to chapter 7, and we're going to drop down to those verses we read last week, starting in verse 25, and then we'll finish the chapter out again, and uh, we'll address a few more issues, but I'll highlight some of the things we already touched on. All right, so, so now concerning virgins, and this kind of sets us up for what he's going to be talking about. He says, I have no commandment of the Lord. That that means I can't look back in anything Jesus has already said and quote to you anything Jesus has already said. But notice he says, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Well, you understand all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everybody awake tonight? It's Wednesday, I know. But since all Scripture is given by inspiration, uh, even though uh, Paul says, I have no commandment of the Lord, what he is saying is now commandment of the Lord because it's inspired and becomes the Word of God. So look in verse 26. I suppose, therefore, that um, this is good for the present distress. We talked about that. I say that it is good for a man so to be unmarried, single, Art thou bound unto a wife? 
Now that you're saved, seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Uh, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Going over to the woman now. Nevertheless, he did tell them, uh, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. It's, it's okay, he says. But this I say, brethren, and remember we highlighted these, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possessed not. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. But I would not, uh, but I would have you, uh, okay, back up. But I would have you without carefulness, without worry. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. That's his key there. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not. Let them marry. Now, how many of you fully understand that last verse? That make just perfect sense to you? Uh, to be honest with you, some of that wording there can be somewhat confusing, and I've studied it out now for a couple of weeks and read different commentaries, and I'll share with you what I believe Paul's trying to say there. It goes on into verse 37 also and says, Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. So then, he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she's at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So he says, I believe God's the one leading me in this, and uh, it's not just my personal opinion. I do believe these are the things that would help uh, people in light of those considerations. So let's pray. We'll get right back into it. Lord, thank you again. Always a blessing, Father, to be in your word. God, open our eyes of understanding, even wake us up physically, but spiritually, and be attentive to the word of God, how it could apply to our lives here today. And I'd ask it of you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, Lots and lots can be said about singleness and about uh, the subject of marriage and, uh, and the importance of it and lots of things that need to be considered in light of approaching marriage, okay? So when you're keeping an eternal perspective, in other words, a couple's looking to make this lifelong decision 
And it's not just this one decision in life, but especially concerning marriage, you need to keep eternity in mind while considering the subject of marriage. And we went through last week, let me just walk us through again, some of the things that we discussed and looked at. Number one, we talked about what was the context of Paul's teaching. In other words, what was going on during that time? And it had a whole lot to do with why he said what he said. Um, Number one, Paul deals first with what he called verse 26, this present uh, crisis, all right, or distress, I'm sorry. Verse 26, I suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress, I say, that it is good for a man so to be. Um, Talking about uh, maybe it would be good for a young single man to remain single because of the present distress. Well, what was the present distress? We're not 100% sure, but if you look at history and see what was going on in that area at that time, Nero was on the throne and he was a wicked man. Christians were under great persecution. I gave you one example last week and I could name dozens of ways that he was so cruel to Christians in that day and age. And so uh, for a young man to be under persecution, for him to try to be maybe possibly having to escape from a little village or a place where he might be would be a much easier thing for a single man than for a man who has a new wife and maybe a little baby in tow uh, to try to escape with all three of their lives. He says this might be something you want to consider for the present distress in light of their circumstances, what he was talking about, while that may have, you know, the present distress, obviously not knowing what it was, not necessarily going on here, but we have our own crisis in, in our lives as well. He's just simply saying, look at life circumstances and consider those in light of your decision. Um, so the second uh, verse that gives us context or lets us know what was going on during that time was also in verse 29, drop back down there. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. Remember that? So he talked about how short a time still remains. All of our futures, really, guys, really they are short. I forget who I was talking to, somebody not even a member of our church, but they were, oh, I I do remember Rod Green. I saw Rod Green yesterday and was talking to him. And he was talking about his uh, last of his sisters had passed away. And I I just, it just hit me so clearly that, you know, uh, Rod, that um, it won't be that long and we're all going to be there. He goes, just like that, we're all going to be there. It's true. Time is so short. Praise the Lord. Uh, It seems like it's a long time, but life is just a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. So uh, a little bit of context to keep that in mind. Time is short. Um, so the way we make decisions is influenced by a time frame. And then uh, look at verse 31 for another verse that explained the context. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. And so what he's saying is, much like the last point, this world is slowly falling apart. You look at it and see what's happening both in society and with the old world itself, is slowly passing away. And there's coming a time when it'll be folded up, the Bible says in Hebrews, as a vesture. He says it's like a garment that will be folded up like a vesture and will be done away with. God's going to redo the world as we know it, and it is slowly passing away. Keep eternity in mind, he says, 
while you're making major decisions in this life, in particular the subject of marriage. So again, this world as we know it is slowly passing away. So now, the last thing I said last week was let's look at Paul's concern about what he is teaching. We talked about his context, but let's look at Paul's concern about what he was teaching. And we said, first of all, Paul was concerned with their protection, and we dropped down into verse 35. Verse 35, he said, and this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. So uh, his concern was also about um, uh, their protection there in verse 35. Um, And it's like he's saying, I'm saying this for your own good and and not to try to restrict you. Uh, In other words, he wasn't trying to bring them into bondage to a set of rules and guidelines. He tells them there's a lot of trouble in marriage. Remember that in verse 28. Um, But and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Remember he said, nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you that once you get married, there's other things to be involved in. Uh, you are concerned for your spouse's needs as well. And there's a balancing act that has to take place. You have to learn how to balance uh, family life with service for God. And they're both spiritual. They're both of God. But he said life's very different after you get married. And every married couple here could say amen to that. It's very different um, in a good way. But you, you've got to learn that balance. So he was concerned also with their provision uh, in verse 35, he said, I tell you this to profit you. I'm trying to move on down uh, past where we were. And then that they would uh, be men and women of devotion. Again, in verse 35, the end of the verse, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. And I want you to understand that if you're going to get married, you need to consider how it's going to affect your walk with God. Well, the person you are with, number one, Surely they're a Christian, otherwise you can't even consider the marriage. Number two, are they in, in sync with the Lord? Are they somebody that will help you have a walk with God or draw you away from God? Um, so uh, he talks about that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction, because there are a lot of things that can bring distraction between you and God. I want you to serve God unhindered is what he's saying. And Paul's great concern was that they would sell out for Jesus Christ, whether they're single or married, that we all need to be servants of God, giving our entire lives over to the Lord. And I challenge that with the married couples here tonight. Can you honestly say that within the structure of your marriage, that it has enhanced your walk with God? And does your relationship with your spouse encourage your walk with the Lord? And if not, that balancing act of Learning how to be married and have a walk with the Lord needs some major work and major overhaul and something really to be considered very seriously. Um, I'll just keep saying this because I covet your prayers that first two days of March, Friday, I believe it's Friday and a Saturday, Yvette and I are doing a couples retreat in Indianapolis with Amber's Church. And I've been developing those four messages or lessons Uh, to teach to the couples, and Yvette has one she'll be doing. We would really appreciate your prayers for that, uh, to have wisdom, uh, to know how to to, uh, share things that that particular church needs and those couples. It would mean a lot 
to us to be able to help them in some of these areas as well. So, now, let's look again at the content of what Paul was saying. Down into verse 29 again tonight. Look in verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both uh, they that have wives be as though they had none. So Paul was trying to get them to have that eternal perspective. I've said it many times already tonight on every decision that they have in their life. Eternity has an impact on relationships. It should. Uh, It remaineth that both they that uh, have wives be as though they had none. Of course, in heaven, we're going to, the Bible says we'll be as the angels in heaven, neither marrying nor given in marriage. Uh, And I've had so many couples say to me, we won't be married in heaven, but I love my husband or I love my wife and I don't even want to think about being in heaven and not knowing him or her as my, my spouse. That don't even sound like heaven. Just let me tell you something. When you see Jesus, there's no comparison. We're married to him as the bride now. You understand that? You'll love that person just like, no. Uh, many times more than you love them now. Many times infinitely more than you do now. But you love Jesus in an indescribable way. So bearing that in mind, eternity has an impact on our relationships. It really does. Uh, eternity has an impact on death. In verse 30, look at verse 30. And they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not. So the weeping is speaking about Um, difficult days, loss and sorrow. They that weep as though they wept not. The time comes when it'll be like that. Um, We sorrow not as those who have no hope, praise the Lord. And we have, uh, with an eternal perspective in mind, um, it's hard to lose a loved one. There's no way to describe it unless you've experienced it. But we don't sorrow like people who have no hope my goodness, I know I'm going to see my loved ones and my relatives, and it may be sooner than later for all of us, but eternity has an impact on death for the Christian. Eternity has an impact on our happiness. Again, in verse 30, uh, finish up that verse, and they that uh, rejoice as though they rejoice not, and so it has an impact on our happiness. When we live with, with eternity in mind, guys, the things that once gave us joy on this earth lose their real joy. The things that were so important to me years ago, and I can look back even as a young Christian man, things that I thought were so very, very important, that I thought, man, if we just had these things would be so good, and our marriage and our life would, and my Christianity would be so much better. And I got to tell you, I'm a lot of years down the road now on those subjects and those things. Most of those things just have about that much interest to me anymore. And as eternity approaches, uh, things that brought happiness and joy to me that I thought were so important have so shifted and changed in this life. Honestly, they have. Uh, So the things that once brought joy have lost their joy to me. When God becomes a big deal, let's put it this way from the men's men's retreat, when God becomes a big deal, the things on this earth won't. Just let that sink in. He says that's the perspective a Christian should have. Eternity has an impact on your possessions, and wrap up verse 30 now at the end. 
and they that buy as though they possessed not. The time's coming for us, guys. Those great things we have bought, they're going to fade away and drift away. They're going to go to goodwill, or they should have gone to the trash can years ago, whatever it might be. And our perspective on those things really needs to to be held in perspective. Um, It's being able to possess things without them possessing us. So the question tonight should be, uh, do I have possessions or do possessions have me? You can answer that by watching how they control your Christianity, because they do. Uh, When things have taken priority over godliness, then I'm not living with eternity's perspective. Hold the things that we buy very lightly. (laughs) They're not going to go with us. I just say, praise the Lord. The warranty goes off so quick anyway. You got to ship it to China to get it fixed. And we can just leave it here. Amen. Let the Antichrist deal with it. Lastly, eternity has an impact on our culture. Um, Look in verse 31. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. When you have eternity in perspective, you can be involved with the things of this world without being controlled by them. And I know that kind of parallels a little bit of what we've been saying. You ever heard somebody say, man, I just, I've heard people say things like, I just live for my dogs. Okay. I just live for my job. I just live for the day when we can finally live somewhere or or do something in this life. You know what, guys? If you'll live for Jesus every day, it'll be the best day of your life. And everything else will take second place. Yvette has a sister. They lived in Montana. Oh, they still do at this point, I think. Um, little town there in Montana. And I'm telling you what, you walk out there. No, you look out their picture window, this whole mountainside, snow-capped mountains in, in the summertime. Uh, and, and, and we go driving around not to look for deer because they say deer are just like ants. We drove around just found, spotted herds of elk Somebody wrote a song years ago, and then one of the lines is, uh, almost heaven. And I thought, almost, almost heaven. And you know what? They're moving away from there because it's just not what they want. And, and I can't blame them, I guess. It's overcast there, you know, like 300 days out of the year, and it's dismal. So they're moving to Hawaii. We have great conviction to, to visit our relatives, um, probably a couple times a year. I've always felt that way. Not. Honestly, Hawaii has very little appeal to me, honestly. Um, but I'm just telling you that I'm just saying this with all my heart, whether I live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, or El Paso, Texas, or Franklin, Ohio, I'm not saying there's not some things there I appreciate more than others. But when you live for Jesus, I just really enjoy wherever I'm at. It's the best place I've ever been, wherever I'm at, because I'm serving the Lord. And he says when you have that kind of eternal perspective, it just changes your outlook on decisions you're going to be making. And all this for a couple that's thinking about getting married. (laughs) Wow, Paul, I'd have never thought about marriage counseling like this. So 
Paul is trying to do for us what he's trying to do uh, for us before we make any major decisions in life. And, and the decision at hand is uh, in our passage here is, is, should I remain single or should I get married? But what he is trying to say is we need to be sure that we understand that the time as we know it, number one, is short. Number two, this world as we know it will soon pass away. Number three, so with eternity in mind, with God's perspective in mind, choose wisely what you are going to do. Will the thing you're going to do, will the decision you choose to make have a positive impact on serving God or not? I don't know if I'm thinking about I don't know if I'm thinking about those decisions that deep. Well, let me, hey, let me just say this. You should. Will the major decisions you're going to make in life have a positive or a negative impact when eternity takes place? And that's what Paul's trying to say. Look at it in light of that. So some things I've not touched on yet, and if I can briefly here to wrap this up, Look at those verses down there, verse 36. Let's go back down there. Verse 36. Let's read those again. But if any man think that he behaveth himself uncomely or in an inappropriate way toward his virgin, who is this uh, man and his, and who is this virgin? If she pass the flower of her age and need so require, let him do what he will. Him do what he, who is that? He sinneth not, let them let them marry. In other words, go ahead, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he'll keep his virgin, doeth well. So there's two different courses he's talking about, a decision that somebody is making about a virgin. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well. Does that give you a little hint at who's being talked about here? He that giveth her in marriage. Who does that? Daddies do that. Doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. So you've got a father who's trying to decide, is it the right thing to let my daughter, a virgin, get married? And um, he, he tells him if, she's, if she has passed the flower of her age, which just simply means she's reached full uh, level of maturity. She's mature enough to be married. Her, her physical body has developed to the place where marriage would be appropriate. And she's emotionally and uh, spiritually at a point where it would be proper for her to get married. If she's reached the flower of her age, has she blossomed out? Uh, that... Um, um, let him do what he will. He sinneth not. Go ahead and let him marry. That's fine. It's not a sin. But if you've got a guy in verse 37 that feels like, I don't know, I, we think maybe it's best if she remains single, uh, she'll serve the Lord much better, she'll be a stronger servant of Christ. And if those are the convictions, those kinds of thoughts are running through their mind, or if it's something uh, considering the present distress Maybe the time frame is not the best, and it would be not convenient if they were married or whatever reason. If you choose not to let her get married, that's okay also. you What does he say, the last two words of verse 37? He doeth well also, but look in verse 38. 
So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well. That was one of those choices. But he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. I believe it's talking about a father trying to determine whether or not he should allow his virgin daughter to be married at that time. For some reason, those were big things to them at, at that time. So that in mind, let me go back now to my last closing thought. Um, and that would be this. The subject of singleness in relation to service for God. Please listen, and I'll, I'll close this out like this. Look in verse 32. But I would have you without carefulness. I don't want you to be anxious or worried about what I've talked to you about. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And if you remember in, in another verse, he said, I, would, I want you to be able to serve without distraction. Do you remember him saying that? And he um, was using those thoughts in light of somebody being single. And he's saying, it's not a sin to get married. Uh, Proverbs, he that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. God said that. So to get married is not a sin if God says he's found a good thing. And uh, so what is he trying to say then? He's simply trying to say that no matter what state you find yourself in, single or married, you ought to be giving yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord. Married couples, you ought to be giving everything you've got to giving honor and glory to God within the structure of your marriage. If your marriage is detracting from serving God, something's not right with the marriage. Something needs to be worked on within the structure of that marriage and get to the place where we're serving God wholeheartedly. But now I'm going to go back to the single person and say this. Um, you don't have a better opportunity to the singles in here tonight. You don't have a better opportunity to be sold out to God than you do right now. You're not balancing yet a spouse. You're not balancing trying to bring uh, the idea that I'm married and that we have children that, we, that are no doubt be coming into the picture and, and I want to make sure my spouse and my children are serving God with all their hearts and you don't have all these things yet. Nothing wrong with it if, if and when you do. I, I believe Paul is simply saying this to the single people. He says you ought to be able to serve without distraction and his idea is that everybody ought to be sold out for God and I'll talk to you as your pastor uh, to any of you that are single tonight boy you'll never have a greater opportunity than when you're single to give everything you've got devote your time your energy your attention to knowing what it means to be fully sold out to God and give everything you have uh, to, to, be, to be able to serve him. Ecclesiastes 11.9. He says this. Here's what Solomon says. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But, ringing the bell now, know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment for what you do with all that energy while you're single and young. So give God the best of your days. Excellence, I love this statement, Booker T. Washington said this, excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. There's not a lot of people that do that. Most of even Christianity 
does common things very commonly. Why surpass anybody else around me? Why work any harder or any better than the guy that's next to me? Because you're a Christian and you represent somebody entirely different than the rest of the world. Give him everything you've got to serve him. Brian Harbour picks up on this theme in his writing called Rising Above the Crowd. And listen to this. He said, success in this world, success means being the best. Uh, Excellence means being your best. Success to many means being better than everybody else that's around you. Excellence means being better tomorrow than you were yesterday. You. Success means ending the achievements of other people. I'm sorry. Success means exceeding uh, the achievements of other people. Excellence means matching your practice with your potential. Which means if you're half-heartedly serving God, this is to all of us, if you are half-heartedly serving God, you say, preach us a passage on singles and getting married. Well, that's the subject at hand, but the heartbeat of it is doing your best to do your best for God. That's what, it, that's what the bottom line is. So, are you doing average because I can get by with that and it's what passes and your boss is the only one you feel like you're measuring up to? Or with eternity in mind, do you realize there's coming a day when I'll stand before God at the Bema seat and I'll give an account for how I gave this body, this life to God? And I, I don't think, well done, thou good and faithful servant, uh, is going to be like, you know, I, I'm pretty average. I wasn't any, you know, big concern about doing my very, very best. I got the job done. God help us as Christians to understand that excellence is not just doing better than those around me. It's doing the very best that this guy right here could possibly do. And I think we're very content with just being average. So young single Christians need to be sure that you're using your singleness to be not just successful, better than others, but rather achieve excellence for the glory of God. As Solomon said, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. And I would challenge that for all of us here this evening. I, I, I don't know where you are in your marriage. Do you feel like your marriage is being the kind of marriage that is um, really enhanced my walk with God? If there's things that are, you know, being distracted by some obvious things in our marriage, then I got to tell you, your marriage is not in the place God intended it when you should have been considering eternal perspective about marriage. Work on that. Get those things worked out so that God can get, get greater glory out of your life. Young people, are you, while you're single, honestly giving your very best for God during this time while you have such an opportunity to give so much time and effort and energy for him. Some, some very serious thoughts to consider. And I believe Paul tried to bring those thoughts out in this passage here tonight. Next, Lord willing, next week we'll get into chapter 8. It's an interesting chapter. 
you want to take some time and read through that, I think it would be helpful as we would uh, approach that subject. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.